Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that you didn't just die 2,000 years ago, but you rose from the dead. Death had lost its sting, and you rose forever over the grave with all power, conquering hell and its demonic foe, securing salvation for us all. Oh, what a glorious Savior you are, Jesus. We praise you and we give thanks today as we've sung the joy in our hearts in knowing you as our Lord and our Savior. Thank you for sending the person of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we want to thank you that you've never gone back to heaven, but you've been here on earth for the last 2,000 years building the church in every generation, building your people up to conform them to the very image of Christ Jesus. And we thank you that your work in the earth today is as glorious as it's always been. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the one that helps us. You are the one that guides us. You are the one that brings us into all truth. Holy Spirit, we thank you that our lives are the very temple, your temple in which you reside. Lord, we want to thank you for the wonderful gift and promise of your Holy Spirit in us. It's your Holy Spirit inside of us that has taken the very love of God and shed it abroad in our hearts so lavishly and so abundantly. We thank you for this love. We thank you for its unconditional nature. We thank you that it's undefeatable. We thank you for its rich reservoir within us whereby it can be a light to those around us. We are your people called by your name, saved by your grace, washed by your blood. We want to thank you. We truly do. That you have called us and chosen us. And as John said, we are now, now, the children of God. But what we will yet be has not yet been revealed. There's more to come. There's more to come. We thank you for it. Well, good morning. You may be seated. What a great morning we're having so far. And I trust that you have had a good week. Over the last six weeks, I believe, we've been looking at what Paul calls the more excellent way, the more excellent way of love. And we've really been focusing on 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and really here, in this chapter, Paul is revealing God's brand new way for us to live our lives in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter four, uh, 13, in just four short verses, Paul lists 15 attributes of God's love. And so far, we've looked at nine of those attributes and how they relate to our lives and how we get them operating and working practically in our day-to-day -day living. And today, I'm believing that we're going to cover the remaining six attributes to finish this series a more excellent way. We've seen how this love over the weeks in our hearts is patient and is kind. How it's not envious or jealous. 
how it doesn't boast, it's never proud. Last week we looked at how it doesn't behave rudely, how it's not provoked, how it thinks no evil. We've looked at these nine attributes and seen how they are in our hearts as a result of the love of God that's been shed abroad in our lives. And they're there for us to use. They're there for us to see. They're there to be a rich blessing to everyone around us that we would meet and come into contact with. But this morning, before we cover the remaining six attributes of God's love to finish this series of messages, it's important to mention that the Apostle Paul shows us that this more excellent way of love is never stumbled upon accidental, accidentally or something that just happens automatically. It's important for us to understand that. We have to take a determined course of action every day with the Holy Spirit's help to walk in this way. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't just automatically begin. We have to choose to follow this way. And we know this because after Paul has laid this more excellent way out in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, so clearly his opening statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is this, pursue love. Pursue love, he implores. This is important for us to notice because what Paul is doing is he's bringing direction. He's bringing closure to everything that he has said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's like he's saying, now I've showed you what this more excellent way is all about. Now it's over to you. You have to decide and determine in your mind to go with this more excellent way of love. He says, pursue it. Pursue this love. And this word that Paul uses, pursue, has great meaning behind it. To pursue means to use all of your strength in pressing forward in a determined direction without any deviation. To, to pursue carries the idea of running swiftly in order to catch and obtain. Like a hunter would track its prey, his prey, looking for any sign or scent to point him in the right direction, we are to pursue love's more excellent way. When we pursue, we're making a determined de decision in a given direction. It's never accidental. It's never automatic. It's a planned course of action. A deliberate choice and act of the will. And Paul implores everyone after telling them what this love is all about, after describing it and listing out all of these various wonderful attributes of God's love, after showing it to them, he says, now you've got to pursue it. You've got to follow hard after it. 
You've got to use all of your energies of life to go in this way. This exhortation that he implores them with at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 has great weight behind it. Paul isn't just offering another suggestion. Well, you can take this up if you like, if you've got time. No, Paul passionately and lovingly implores them. You've got to pursue this. You've got to go after this. This is a given course of action that's activated by your will. Now it's over to you, church. You've got to do it. He's not just giving a mild suggestion here. He's not just presenting an alternate route. This is the way. The way of Christ. Jesus said, I am the way. The way, not a way among many ways. I am the way, the truth and the life. And it brings everybody to a point of decision within our world. Either you think he's crazy, either you, you, you just put him to the side and say, well, no, I'm going to follow my way and every other way that's around me. Or you treat it with truth and you treat it with faith and trust. And you see him as the only way. And this is what Paul is doing. You've got to pursue this way of Christ. This way, this more excellent way of love. That's the force behind this word. Pursue this more excellent way, he says. When love's out there in life and circumstances are contradicting it and trying to knock you about, of course, Paul says, pursue love. Never take a detour. Never take an alternative route. Follow the more excellent way through all of the crises, through all of the changing circumstances, through all of the ups and downs in relationship. Pursue love. Follow the more excellent way through the minefield of life. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again from verse 4 through to verse 8, just to remind ourselves of this more excellent way that we've been called to live in. And then we're going to take up verse 6 and 7 and look at these remaining six attributes that are in our hearts, that are there as a result of this love that's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, according to Romans chapter 5 verse 5. You might not feel like it, like I might not feel like it, but you take it by faith. This is a done deal as far as God is concerned as a result of the Holy Spirit in your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 from verse 4 through to verse 8 says this, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. If you want a description about your life, there it is. It really is. 
It's a description. The most accurate description of your life in Christ is what I have just read to you in those words that Paul gave to the church at Corinth. That describes you down to a T. All of those glorious, unfailing, unconditional attributes of God's love characterize your life. Now, you may look back on your life just like I look back on my life and say, well, man, it's not really representative of how I've lived. Of course, our lives can be up and down sometimes. And we, we slip in and slip out of this. But I tell you now, this is what we are growing in. This is what the Holy Spirit is committed to. And I, and I know that God, in all of his fullness and in all of his glory, is producing these attributes in our hearts and in our lives as we live life day by day. More and more, they will be seen. And we will reflect his wonderful presence and his wonderful person. In verse 6, Paul begins by assuring us that this love of God that is in our hearts does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. What does he mean when he says that? It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It doesn't rejoice in sin. It finds no pleasure in it, but its pleasure is in the truth. Its, its heart rejoices in God's Word, the truth of it. When Paul spoke and wrote these words to the believers in Corinth, they knew immediately what he was talking about because it was so relevant to the time in which they lived because Corinth's main attraction to any onlooker within their world was in every form of sexual immorality and vice. This was one of the main forms of their trade, one of the main revenues that people profited from. And this city was bustling with business, trade from all over the world, converged in Corinth to find and fulfill every kind of sordid sexual pleasure. The church was right in the middle of it all, where it should be, shining a light for Jesus Christ, right in the center of all the mess, right in the center of the sewer and the swamp of humanity. That's where God decided to plant a church through the preaching of the Apostle Paul. Glorious testimony. As believers would have walked down the streets, as they had gone out into the marketplace, as they earned their living every day, they would have seen people en masse rejoicing and reveling in iniquity and sin. Able, without any restriction, to fulfill all of their sordid desires. The church at Corinth was positioned right in the center of a culture that praised, sorry for spitting, reckless living. 
We all know what reckless living is about. Outside of Christ, we know how reckless our flesh can be. And this wonderful church was like a lifeboat in a sea of humanity where people were drowning and desperate for a saviour. The epicenter of this city that commanded everybody's attention was Epaphrodite's temple. All of the sordid pleasure of that city was actually rooted and twisted into a religious kind of idolatry. Epaphrodite was renowned to be the goddess of love. And this is where Paul unfurled the greatest revelation of real love, God's love. Her temple towered over, high over the city of Corinth and had a thousand temple prostitutes in service. And all of this promiscuity drew thousands and thousands, tens of thousands to the city from all over the world. History tells us They used every means possible to draw custom into Epaphrodite's temple. The temple prostitutes would walk down around the city and they would leave a message wherever they walked that was embossed into the ground from the soles of their sandals. The message was simple. Follow me. Much like the insignia on, on the bottom of your trainer sometimes leaves its print in the dust or in the dirt. They had within the sandals that they wore this insignia, this message, follow me to lure in trade. And it was all around the dusty streets of that city. But in direct contrast, the Apostle Paul gave out a very different invite to believers in the church of Corinth when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1, Follow me as I follow the example of Christ. It was here in this city that desperately needed to know what love was all about that the Apostle Paul showed them the more excellent way of love to follow. People were rejoicing and reveling in pleasure without any restriction. Yet Paul guides them by saying that love has the power to cleanse and change our base fleshly affections and turn us away from sin and iniquity, causing our lives to rejoice in the truth. Paul holds up the love of God in a city that had been built on sensual pleasure and proclaims, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Please, let's just think about the words that he uses for a moment. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. He, he, does, he didn't say love rebukes iniquity. He's very careful because people's lives are hanging in the balance. There's a city all around them that have no direction. There's a city all around them 
that are blind to the love of God and they're just trying to fulfill their search in life and they're indulging in all kinds of immorality that are so destructive and so debased. But he doesn't say love rebukes iniquity. He's very careful. Why? Because this church had to lovingly appeal to those that were all around searching. It didn't need a rebuke. It needed love. Do you know what's quite concerning? I find it very concerning and sad. Sad. You know, sometimes you look on the internet and, um, you know, you, you hear preachers, don't you, say, the number one, the number one word in Google is sex. Yeah, uh, that may be true. Pornography. Yeah, we know that. Do you know what's even sadder? I'll tell you what's even sadder. Is, is Christians making public the sin of others. And, and actually trading off the back of another believer's fall or another minister's fall and, and getting likes and getting an audience, it, it, it's actually really saddening. And, and honestly, I tell you now, love doesn't rebuke. It doesn't go after to find out and dig out the wrongs of another. The Bible actually says that love covers a multitude of sins. Now, it doesn't rejoice in sin. It doesn't agree with it. But I'm telling you now, it doesn't get up on a channel on YouTube and go into all of the sordid details of a minister's life or, or, or a believer's life and, and parades it out and shows the dirty washing for the world. It's absolutely disgusting. And I tell you, I, I, I advise you not to watch it. It will do you no good. It will do you no good. Do not rejoice in iniquity, especially when Christians put it up on a channel and, act, and ministers sometimes go after other men that have, that, have, that have fallen or women that have, whatever. I tell you, it's no good, man. It's not good. It's not right. No, it doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Paul wasn't going out into Corinth shouting his head off. Epaphrodite's temple, it's disgusting, the revelry and the immorality. No, 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 that's not love. That's a, a religious animal. No, he lived this life of love. He lived it and he gently, now he didn't rejoice in it but he became all things to all men that he might win some. And that was the wisdom that this man had. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, he tells us, but it rejoices in the truth. Next, Paul moves on, and now it's as if he takes everything to another level. He's spoken about love in an amazing way, but it's as if he just... He just launches it in a completely new direction and takes all the limits off it. He tells us that this love, it bears all things. This love's in you. This love bears all things. He's talking about you and me. He wants us to understand that 
there's an infinite strength that this love has. God's love in you. Paul is showing us that this love is never crushed by the load and the weight of life. It can bear up under it all and remain standing. Or you may arch your back, Christian, under the struggles of life. You may arch your back, but I tell you something now, there's a love in you that defines, that, that, that defies all human reason, all human strength, all of your human ability, and it will enable you. I know the stories, many stories, just in this local church alone, where we've heard news, bad news has come in that's maybe hit your life. And the initial thinking is, oh my gosh, I wonder how they're going to do. I wonder how they're going to get through. What, what's going to happen? And then suddenly a few days in, you hear of the believer bearing all things. What's that? That's the supernatural love of God within you, standing up against the crushing weight of life, enabling you to go on through. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It bears all things. Have you ever said or heard words to these effect? I just can't bear this anymore. That'll never be the confession of a Christian. Why? Because love will always come to your aid before you confess it. It'll bear all things. You'll be able to bear it. The truth is many times our lives are very weak and can bear very little. Life can be crushing. But Paul here opens our mind, focuses our perspective, begins to adjust and change our attitude to the glorious capacity of God's love in our hearts. God's unconditional love doesn't just bear some things. It bears all things. I love how specific he is with his words. He's not just throwing sentences together. He's being very, very focused in how he brings description to this. It's not threatened by anything. That's what he's telling us when he tells us that it bears all things. It doesn't cower or shrink back in the corner. Now emotionally, sometimes you can feel as if you're on the floor. But honestly, when you cry out to God, as I've cried out to God, something happens. It just mm, makes you stand up on the inside to go on through. It doesn't buckle under the weight. It has enough strength and resilience within it to hold it and to keep it all together. Paul the Apostle experienced this wonderful power of God's love firsthand in his life like many other of the apostles did. As the extreme crushing weight of life bore down on him, the excellence of God's power, the power of his love inside him brought him through. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 to verse 9. But we have this treasure. He called it a treasure treasure. This is more than a Swiss bank account full of cash. This is more than anything that's material within our world. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. 
that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed. There's the weight and the crush of life right there on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed. There's the confusion of life bearing down on a man's mind, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. This is the life testimony of a man that experienced life's crushing weight, just like you and I. The earthen vessel of Paul's life was fragile, just like ours is. Easily broken. But the excellence of the power of God's love, the treasure, the treasure that's in the earthen vessel of your life and my life enables us to bear all things. Hallelujah. He just keeps elaborating. He just keeps expanding. He just keeps enlarging this picture because next he moves on by telling us that not only does love bear all things, but it believes all things. Now, you know, he's, he's not saying that love is just gullible, right? That it's blind and ignorant to what's happening around. But what he is telling us is that love is not cynical. It's not critical or suspicious. Have you ever been cynical? Have you ever been critical or suspicious? Gone through a season like that? It's not pleasant. And in our flesh, all of these things reside. But Paul says, to counteract all of those negative, cynical, critical elements of our lives, there's a love that can reign over them. There's a love that can give you such a rich quality of belief that's not cynical, that's not stained in criticism. Paul is telling us that this love believes the best about others. It approaches every day looking to believe the best about others. Just imagine living life like that. Just imagine waking up, going out into the workplace, into life, into your family, amidst your friends. With this very spirit, oh, it'll do you good to allow love to believe all things through you. It'll do you good for you not to be cynical or critical or judgmental, but to have the best in mind when you think about others and see others. It will do you good. You know, I mentioned last week, didn't I? We'd save ourselves so much time and so much pain and so much energy and unnecessary burden and troubles if we would just walk in love's more excellent way, not trying to second-guess people or looking for hidden meanings in their actions, what they've said or what they've done. Love believes all things, and it guides you in the way of peace. This love is going to become more and more active in your life. You're going to be believing the best about others. The one person in the room 
that's going to bring positive remark, that's genuine from a heart of faith and belief about others is going to be yours. Why? Not because of your necessary, not because of, of you being strong, but because love is in you, the love of God. And as every moment passes, it's taking ground. As every moment passes, the flesh is losing its power. As every moment passes, you're becoming more like Christ in all of his fullness, in all of his glory, in all of his character, because this is your destiny. It really is. The love of God in our hearts enables us to believe for the best, the highest outcomes in all of our relationships. You're a walking blessing. You really are. As you walk into situations that are negative, your life is the unpacking, the unfurling, the unfolding of blessing. It really is. Come on, Helen. Pour it on, Jesus. By love believing all things, the outcome of this is that it leads us to having a spirit of great hope. This is what Paul next addresses. He says, love hopes all things. He's told us it doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Then he said that this love, what was the next one? Bears all things. Then it believes all things. And, now, and then it hopes all things. Paul is saying to us that this love, as it hopes all things, gains God's perspective and God's mind view on everything. What does he mean when he says, love hopes all things? What value does hope bring to our lives every day? Well, this hope firstly brings a correct perspective about the future that's good, rich, and healthy. Hope has no place. This is the current one. It has no place for the conspiracy theories of our time and of our day. It has no place for them. Because hope's outlook is positive and bright. Because it's in Christ. It's in God. Hope is full of confident anticipation and expectation for the blessings that are ahead. It's a sad thing. When people's mouths are filled with hopelessness. It's a sad thing. When people think that things just can't get any better. Things can't change. They're set. There's no way out. And all you hear is the voice of hopelessness. But love hopes in all things, Paul tells us. This heart of love within us generates a hope about all things. Hope can see great possibility and opportunity for good in anything and everything. My goodness, when we live like this, we'll never have a negative day. 
will always be up. And that's the way it should be. This hope never gets threatened by the all things of life, the all things that come about in every day. Love's hope is excited and hugely optimistic about how God will take all things and use them for his plan and his purpose in our lives. All of the unforeseen things, all of the unknown elements of the future never give rise to fear when hope is in the heart. Through the power of God's love, everything ahead adds up to something good and exciting because the God of all hope controls all things and your eyes, your perspective, your attitude and all of your actions are centered now in following him in this more excellent way. The amazing thing about hope is that it sees everything in the design of God for our lives. Hope interprets all things that are in our past and says, God will use it in his work. It doesn't look back. You see, it hopes all things. Well, there's a lot of things in your past and there's a lot of things in my past. Hope doesn't look back into the past and think, oh my God, where this life has been, what this life has done. There's no hope for it. No, hope can look back into the past, into the all things of your past and my past and smile with confidence knowing that God will use them in his purpose. It's wonderful. Hope sees all things in our present that could be all jumbled up and all over the place. But it confidently looks at them and maintains that God will use them in his way. Through his providence, through his sovereignty, God will take them up to himself. Because hope knows that God works all things after the counsel of his will. That's what the word of God says. Hope looks into the unknown future with assurance and can step forward confidently because it understands completely what Paul said in Romans 8, verse 28, one of our all-time favorites here. And we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's a vision of hope. A vision of hope about your past, a vision of hope about your present, and a vision of hope in relation to everything about your future. God, in His love, through the power of His Holy Spirit, has packed our lives with a living hope that interprets all things as under God's sovereign hand to take them up as ingredients to perfect our lives and bring them to be exactly like Christ Jesus. And then finally, Paul tells us that God's unconditional love in our hearts endures all things. Here he's telling us that this love 
It can't be worn down or worn out. It has a resilient strength that is unbeatable and undefeatable. And it's in you. God is love. And Paul in Romans 5 verse 5 says that this God who is love, the very essence of love, through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in your heart. Paul used this phrase, all things, finally to emphasize the endless resourcefulness of the love of God. Charles Spurgeon, that 18th century preacher of London, such a wonderful expositor of God's word, remarked about this phrase, all things, by saying, God's love in our hearts can take on the army of all things and defeat them one by one or all at once, victoriously. Oh, what a love that's inside you. What a love that's inside me. And together, we are the richest people on the planet. We really are. Oh, we may not have huge financial bank accounts. You may not have a lot of things materially. You might be struggling to, you know, put two P together. But I tell you now, you're the richest person in the world if the love of God has come into your heart and been shed abroad by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are rich beyond measure. You really are. And He has done exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think in the moment that He did that. Finally, in his summary of this more excellent way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul sums it all off in a very simple but profound statement when he says, love never fails. Love never fails. That's how he caps off all of these 15 glorious attributes of God's love that are resident in your heart. Love never fails. He's pointing out that love has no element within it that can decay. It can never become weary or tired or weakened by effort. It simply does not fail in its strength. Love never loses its position of power. It's never depleted by use or diminished by expression. Love never fails means that it can never be exhausted. It's beyond definition. It really is. And we can never be separated from it. This word never is a huge word that Paul is using. It's a huge claim that he's making. But it's the only word that can be rightly associated with God's love. You could never say that Dave's love never fails. It wouldn't be appropriate, but when we speak about God's love, we can confidently state his love never fails. Never, ever fails. Paul in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, has been very practical, extremely practical, in fact. 
because that's where the power lies. The love of God coming out in daily practice through our lives in everyday life, wherever we are as believers. There's never a moment in life where we're not going to need these attributes. There's never a moment in life where we're not going to need access to them and that's why they're packed in your heart and my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit has not done a number on any one of us. He's not, you know, into dump and run. No, he's, he's lavishly put the love of God into our hearts and then he stays here to help us, guide us, bring us into all truth and lead us and fill us so that Christ can live through us. And this can be seen in our world. Let me just give this scripture, this scripture verse to you finally as we're bringing this to a close. Because I really do believe that, you know, like us, Paul struggled in trying to work this love out. Paul struggled in his actions. Paul struggled in his relationships and his day-to-day -day living. But I do believe he got to a wonderful, glorious place of freedom where he really saw Jesus Christ at another level in his life. And this is where we're heading. He says this, oh, to be able to say this with confidence and assurance. And I do believe if we can't say it today, I believe it with all of my heart. One day we will say it with absolute confidence, knowing its power and truth. Galatians 2 verse 20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I no longer live, Paul says. But the life that I look at, the life that I see operating out of me is the life of Christ. It's Christ that lives in me. It's Christ that speaks through me. It's Christ that gives the response to the unkind remark, the persecution that tries to put me down, the opposition that comes my way. It's not I that stands up any longer. I has been crucified with Christ. It's Christ that can be seen. It's Christ that can be heard. It's Christ in me that's doing this work through me. That is our portion. That is our inheritance. That is our expectation of life. Why? Because we're chosen. We're chosen by Him. It's not as a result of a dreary, a dreary, dry discipline. Nothing wrong with discipline. But this doesn't come as a result of that. This is walking in destiny. This is traveling in the fast lane with the Holy Ghost, holding on for dear life with a big smile on your face. Hallelujah! Welcome in every problem, welcome in every challenge, welcome in every crisis, because it's an opportunity to see the glorious love of God yet again come to your aid and make 
It's manifestation. It's a supernatural life. Finally, we know it's possible for this reason. For this reason. Not because of anything in us. We all know that, right? But we know it's possible for this reason. Because of the one that's called it into being. The one that's giving his blood and his life on the cross. The one that stood on the sea and spoke peace to a storm that was raging all around the disciples in the middle of the night and everything became still is the very one that can take an out of control character and rein it in and shape it and mold it and craft it by God's all-powerful love. That same one, Jesus, that took a tasteless material such as water and transformed it into the richest wine is the very one that can take our base fleshly nature that always gravitates to sin and make it spirit-filled and glorious and resemble everything of Christ's perfect, perfect character. This is the one that calls it into being. So we look away from our own strength. We look away from our own abilities and we fix in our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. We place our vision, hope and trust in Him. Now, why don't we, if we can't say it, give Him a huge round of applause for enriching our lives and our hearts with His love and His goodness. We are but sinners saved by grace when He found every one of us. Let's, mis let's not make, make any mistake about it. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. But God, who is rich in mercy and because of his great love has raised us up together and seated us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. It's not because of us, it's because of him. Amen. I'm going to pray right now and I believe the Holy Spirit has taken us and directed us over these weeks because he wants to help us to see the power of this love in our hearts. We come before him today in weakness, utter weakness, to do this. But that's why we need a miracle. He can calm storms. He can turn water into wine. He can feed multitudes. He can open blind eyes. He can raise the dead. There's nothing that Jesus can't do. And we're in his presence and he sees our needs and he knows our frailties and our weaknesses and our tendencies. Sometimes to veer towards the flesh and the things that we shouldn't do. And with loving eyes, he sees those areas that may be out of control. And he's going to 
He's going to turn that area of weakness into beautiful strength. Isaiah put it like this. He gives us beauty for all of the ashes. What a wonderful picture. Father, I pray for your people today. We've looked into your word over these last weeks, specifically into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it's amazing to see this glorious love, the love of God. It's a love that suffers long and is kind. Lord, would you help us? Times where we need to be patient. And suddenly there's this rise of emotion within us to be impatient and to really cut somebody up. We get angry. Would you help us to know love's power to suffer long? to be patient. This isn't natural. It's not normal within human nature, but there's a divine life. There's a divine love within us. Help us to suffer long, to be patient and to be kind to those who hate us and speak about us. Lord, there's going to be times in our lives where we're going to see others racing along, being successful, maybe getting the promotion that we would like or the pay rise that we need. And they're going up the ladder and it seems as if we're going down the ladder. And those, those emotions of jealousy and envy that are in the human heart are going to want to rise to the fore. But love's power is going to come in that moment. And it's going to quench the fire and put out the flame of envy and jealousy. And we will not envy. We will not be jealous because of this beautiful love of God in our hearts. Lord, let us never parade our successes and berate and belittle others. Love doesn't parade itself. Help us, Lord, not to be puffed up with pride, trying to be the largest person in the room. Love makes us secure. We don't need to be proud. We don't want to behave rudely. We want to see love's power changing and transforming our very behavior, the way that you would behave in all of the various situations in life, Jesus, with wisdom and dignity and purity. We want love to, to transform us in our behaviors. We ask you to do it, Lord. Lord, we want to know this love that doesn't seek its own. You laid your life down. Oh, that seems so far away from us many times where we can be self-seeking. Lord, we want to know this freedom of spirit where Paul said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in lowliness of mind, consider others better than yourself. Genuinely, we want to find the joy in considering others better than us. Not to just be full of ourselves, but to really find the joy in celebrating others and laying down ourselves. Lord, we saw how love is not provoked. It doesn't bite the bait. And there's so many things in life that bait us every day. And that hook inside that bait 
we bite and suddenly we get pulled in and reeled into things that you have no plan in for our lives. Lord, love sees. Love sees this and enables us not to be provoked. We saw how it thinks no evil. Holy Spirit, take control of our minds. Let us not be trying to second guess people, trying to work out their actions. Love shapes, formulates our attitudes and protects our minds against evil thinking. Rid us of it, we pray. Let love, this love in our heart, rise up in the mind of your people to think the best and to be transformed and renewed in their mind. We don't want to rejoice in iniquity or take pleasure in sin. Holy Spirit, we can so easily be tempted. There's so many things around us to see. Things that would try to allure us and draw us away. But thank you that you provide a way of escape for every temptation that is common to man. Love provides this way. You're so good. You are so good to lead us away into that way of escape. Let us know that, we pray. We don't want to rejoice in any form of sin. We want to rejoice in the truth. This truth that has set us free, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We want to walk in that way. Lord, we can bear all things, even under the crushing weight of disappointment. Somebody here this morning, you've been disappointed. Disappointed by somebody else. That's the word there. Disappointed. Caused you tears. Caused you pain and grief in your heart. Heavy heart. Well, you're going to leave this service today. And I'm telling you now. There's going to be a love within you that's going to bear up under the weight of that disappointment. And it will not be crushing to you. Believe all things. We want to be those that look for the best. Holy Ghost. Hopes all things. We can look back at our past, present and future. And everything about them. Hope says there's a purpose for. And Lord, finally... This enduring strength, this resilience in love, we pray would be our portion. We thank you. Love has never failed us. It's never failed us. It's never going to fail us. We are so grateful and blessed by you. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.